The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in, it, in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the kingdom of God is like a game of sardines, but it is also like a mustard seed, like leaven, like a treasure, and like a pearl. These things that Jesus talks about are very different, and most people would never really have had access to a treasure or a pearl as valuable as the one that Jesus is talking about. But they, and we probably, couldn't, could imagine what it would feel like to find something that precious. Most people would have been able to imagine a mustard seed or leaven, though. The thing is, though, that we, after 2,000 years, 2,000 years removed from Jesus and this particular afternoon of telling parables, we don't have access to the same kinds of connotations that Jesus' listeners would have had when he was talking about the mustard seed and the leaven. Even just our translation of the text, which substitutes, substitutes yeast for leaven, is kind of obscuring those connotations. The mustard plant, for example, apparently had some medicinal and, of course, culinary uses, but was generally considered a weed it grew fast and wild, and the tiny seeds were almost impossible to control. And one of the commentaries that I read on this particular text says that the leaven is really just a rotting piece of dough that is added to the flour to sour it and make the new set of loaves. 
And then three measures of flour, we don't have that kind of measurement anymore, but three measures of flour is apparently a huge amount of flour, enough to feed about 100 people. So out of weeds and rotting food, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will grow. I think that's one of the most important points in these parables. Not just that the kingdom of God must start small before it can grow into a tree that can shelter all the nations, but that these beginnings are hidden from us. It would be wonderful if we could guarantee that the kingdom of God will begin and grow here in this sanctuary and when people notice that this kingdom of love and compassion is growing here, they will want to come and be part of our community. But the kingdom of God is hidden in the dirt beneath a refugee's sleeping cot. The kingdom of God is hidden in bread, the most basic of foodstuffs that even homeless people are offered at soup kitchens and meal programs. In the most unexpected, places and people, the kingdom of God will take root and grow to encompass many, many people. It's almost, also almost impossible to intentionally plant a mustard shrub. Big, majestic trees like the cedar, which was routinely planted in Palestine to honor kings and other people with high status, were intentionally put in places along roadways and in palaces and in temples, and then they were cared for until they were mature and strong and tall. But the mustard seed is so tiny that even if you tried to intentionally sow it, it's so small that once you have sown it, or even just if you accidentally drop, drop it, you can't find it again to plant it somewhere else. It's hidden in the soil now. And then, of course, the mustard is more of a shrub than a tree. Jesus is being extremely generous here in saying that it becomes the greatest of shrubs and a tree. But maybe that's exactly the point, too. We should not discount something or someone that we think is incapable of helping the kingdom of God to grow. Because who knows, God might pick exactly that person or place or time. I do want to talk briefly about the parables of the treasure and the pearl too, because one of my commentaries mentioned something absolutely fascinating. A good and probably the common way of interpreting this parable is a test that I think would convict most of us, me included. Would we be willing to sell everything, to give away everything, to lose everything for the kingdom of God? A qualifier, well, in the current economy, we have to be careful, that doesn't count. Are we willing to literally give up everything for the kingdom of God? Each of us, of course, has to come up with their own answer for that. But the second way of interpreting these parables that the commentary mentioned puts Jesus 
in the role of the merchant and the person buying the field. In that case, we are the treasure and the pearl. Can you imagine? We are so precious to God that God sends Jesus to give away everything, literally everything, even his life, just to buy us. How would that change how we interact with each other and even with ourselves? To know that each of us is a treasure or a pearl. Every one of us is precious and valuable and wanted by God, literally just for us. I don't think that the two ways of interpreting this parable are mutually exclusive. They can, and I think they do exist side by side. God gave up everything because we are so precious. And now the question for us is what we would suffer to make sure that we treated ourselves and each other as these treasures that we are. But in a society that depends so heavily on our self-loathing, what would change if we lived into the value that God sees in each one of us? Lastly, I want to skip over the, the fifth parable of the fish because it is very similar to a parable that we, I think we had last week of the wheat and the weeds. But I do want to touch on the last paragraph in our reading. Jesus asks his friends and students whether they have understood everything he told them, and they say yes. I would guess that in that moment, they really were being truthful. They really did believe that they had understood what Jesus was trying to tell them. In this reading, we're about halfway through the Gospel of Matthew, and at this point, soon, Jesus will get on his way toward Jerusalem and toward his death. And the stories in the second half of this gospel and the other gospels as well show us that the disciples really didn't get it. Not even until after Easter Sunday. And it's so easy for us to read their enthusiastic yes in this story and to roll our eyes at them because we know from reading the Gospels over and over in church and at home, that no, they hadn't understood what Jesus was talking about. But I do want us to be careful with that. Because Jesus and his friends lived at a time of enormous social change and upheaval, and the way of life that once was wouldn't work anymore very soon. The temple, for example, that Jesus and his community knew and grew up traveling to for every major holiday was going to be destroyed. And so Jews had to figure out how to live under and how to survive under the incredibly oppressive Roman occupation. And then with Rome, of course, came a ton of new ideas and customs. And then Christianity was first persecuted as the new small sect that gave the Romans trouble before, miraculously, it becomes the state religion. So many changes happened in such a short amount of time. But the disciples couldn't anticipate, anticipate that yet. 
They were simply convinced that they understood everything on that day. But then eventually, they realized how little they had understood, and they adjusted to this new reality that was led by Jesus and would then, of course, expand all around the globe. I think in the same way, we are encouraged to study these texts and to say that we already understand quite a bit of it. But we will never understand the Bible completely, not even I, and it's my job to do that. <laughs> the best we can do is to try and learn more and more about God and the heavenly kingdom that is working its way into our world. That can be frustrating, especially when things keep changing on us. Just like our society, for example, Jesus' society was built on wealth, and you were considered blessed by God if you had a lot of it. But Jesus tells us that the opposite is true. The poor are blessed and closer to God than anyone else. In Jesus' community, just like in ours in many cases still, women were regarded as lesser. We even read about that in Paul's letters when he instructs that women should be quiet in church. But this prohibition I read a while back is actually a sign that women were important and valued members of Jesus' church at that time. And we know that women financed Jesus' ministry. They opened their homes to house churches, and they were some of Jesus' closest followers, as close as siblings. Until, of course, in a kind of very human turn of events, after Jesus' death, the earthly power dynamics kind of resurfaced. So Jesus' ministry and the community of faith that he established change the world still today. So even when we think we understand what Jesus is teaching us, we have to be prepared to have our minds changed. But even though it is now clear that on that afternoon the disciples really didn't get what Jesus was trying to tell them, he still loved them. They still were precious and valuable to him. He still taught them. He still kept them around. He still guided them. And the same is true for us. In times of monumental change, we are fumbling to try and figure out how to be good human beings and good Christians going forward. But even when we make missteps, because we will make missteps inevitably, even when we do, God still loves us. And I think that's the most important thing that we should keep in mind from, this, from these parables and really from all of the Gospels. Jesus' disciples ran to him when life got overwhelming and scary. And God still wants us to search for Jesus and to stick to him like in a game of sardines. And so it is my prayer this week that you will find God in the most unexpected places and hold on to him every single day. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com 
And don't forget, you are loved.